Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello, greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That means that I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So to you, so let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 114. We're going to talk about week number 11. Pretty crazy. Week 11 is in the books. We've made it this far. We're two weeks away from the fantasy playoffs beginning. Now every point matters which is why some dynasty managers have a sour taste in their mouth after several teams, whole teams laid eggs on Sunday. Uh, Thankfully, uh, I was not one of those managers that was suffering. I had a pretty good week personally. My team's finished six and two, most likely. There's still one pending here on Monday night as I record on Monday afternoon. Uh, Win or lose, I always say this, I really believe it, win or lose, it's a joy to watch football. You have to keep that perspective. It's fun to watch and cheer on our dynasty teams. So I'm gonna talk today about some of the things I learned from week Number 11 with some key observations, some waiver wire pickups for you, talk a little bit about the entries, and then I'll go over some trades that were actual trades made in my leagues uh, during this last week. So let's start with uh, week 11 observations, five of them here. First, I'll call it week killers, (laughs) week killers. I think Dynasty managers can blame Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, and Carson Wentz for many fantasy losses this week. What's worse is how they impacted the whole offense. Uh, making every starter's fantasy player on their teams score below expectations. If it were not for the garbage-time touchdown catch by Dallas Goddard, not a single player on these teams was startable. Ryan held onto the ball for far too long, was sacked eight times, he never found a rhythm, and he barely completed 50% of his passes, very, very unlike Matt Ryan. And even so, Atlanta insisted on passing. They gave their running backs only 14 carries for the day. Wentz, on his side of things, he threw a terrible pick six and didn't even move the offense at all until garbage time, which is really all he's been doing all year. He does this all the time in the fourth quarter. It's ridiculous. It's no longer an exception for him to play this way. It's really the rule for Wentz. This is his new rule. He's playing his worst football of his career and is stifling the incredible talent of Miles Sanders and Jalen Rager that we just want to see be freed. Pretty frustrating. And then, of course, there's Stafford. His lines were shut out on Sunday and while Stafford threw for a measly 178 yards. To be fair, he was missing DeAndre Swift, uh, Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola with injuries, but it's still no excuse for not getting for getting shut out and netting less than eight total fantasy points for the day. In a week when uh, every win is important and every point counts here near the end of the season, it was definitely extremely disappointing to see these ordinarily pretty consistent quarterbacks really lose weeks for their dynasty managers as well as impact all the other players on their team. Second overall observation, we got to talk about it. We'll call it the Taysom Hill effect. Oh man, there's one manager in every league that's thrilled to see Taysom Hill get his first start of his career. It's the Taysom Hill owner. It's that manager. Uh, Whether a manager started him as a quarterback or a tight end or a wide receiver, he scored 24 fantasy points without throwing a touchdown. He just ran for two instead. Pretty frustrating if you were playing against him, and a strange performance as he really impacts the whole Saints offense. As for Michael Thomas, he did have the best game of his injury-riddled season, which isn't saying much. He's really only played three games, so it hasn't really made that much of a difference, but he did have 100 yards receiving, so that's good. He received more than 50% of Hill's targets, too. So 
Uh, Hill's at least proving proven that he knows who his primary receiver is. On the other hand, and this is what affects me, his primary running back, Alvin Kamara, had the first game of his career without a reception. Unreal. Kamara managers are likely near the top of their leagues based on how well Kamara played this season. I know I am in the leagues where I have him. But now we're left to wonder if their teams will fail down the stretch, stretch going into the playoffs, if they can't count on the steady seven reception as a game that he was averaging before Hill's first start. Seven receptions a game he was averaging. This time he gets none under Hill. Additionally, you could say Jared Cook was uh, was didn't do much. He was only targeted one time and had just six yards on that one reception. It's just it's just one week with Hill at the helm, but there's really good reason for alarm uh, from what we saw on Sunday. I generally trust Sean Payton to recognize that he needs to get Kamara the ball more often and use him in the passing game like he has. I expect that that will change some, but not near to the degree that's going to satisfy managers who thought that they would ride Kamara into a championship. I know I'm one of them and pretty frustrated by this. Third thing I'll mention, uh, observing the whole week was all called this hiding Russell Wilson. It's a little pun there. Hide is when Carlos Hyde hiding Russell Wilson. After losing two games in a row, Pete Carroll uh, committed to getting back to the running game. The old uh, adage we started saying at the start of the season, let Russ cook. That narrative was great for fantasy stats, but it cost the Seahawks some games. And so Thursday night, they got one of their two lead running backs back from injury, Carlos Hyde, and they handed in the ball 14 times. Wilson only threw the ball 28 times, which was tied for his lowest number of attempts in the season when he did that in week number two. And as always, Russ is efficient. He did throw two touchdown passes, helps fantasy managers with 10 rushes for 41 yards also. It was a nice day, but not a win-the-week kind of day like we had from Russell Wilson several times this year. I really think when Chris Carson comes back uh, this week, I think Carroll will dial up even more in the running game, leaving Wilson managers frustrated as they have been in years past when they just don't let Russ cook. I don't think that that's going to win them games, so I think that Carroll is going to dial up the running game and scale back Russ and his cooking, we'll say. Uh, fourth thing that I would uh, notice from this week that I really enjoyed is I'll just call them route running technicians. Adam Thielen, man, and Keaton Allen, they're two of the best route runners and some of my favorite players to watch. Uh, both of them were just on fire on Sunday, likely pushing many fantasy teams to wins on Sunday. Thielen scored two touchdowns again on Sunday, including another one-handed toe-tapping grab that was just nuts just like he had the one-handed grab for a touchdown last week. And then he was wide open for a second touchdown on the red zone route, kind of a route combination that freed him up that was real similar to his touchdown last week. So two touchdowns the last two weeks. Uh, He now leads the league in touchdown catches with 11. It's easy to cheer for a guy like him, an undrafted free agent who beats far superior athletes um, by using his football intelligence and his technique. Keenan Allen wins the very same way for the Chargers. Uh, He was wide open for most of his 16 catches, 16 for 145 yards on Sunday. And he now leads the league in receptions with 81. Even when he's covered, he's not. (laughs) Justin Herbert knows this, and he throws some 50-50 balls, like the touchdown pass that he caught on Sunday where he turned around the defender and caught the ball right behind his back. I am so happy that Allen has uh, got a competent quarterback, Justin Herbert really to increase Allen's dynasty value in the back half of his career. I love these two guys. Allen's 28 years old. Thielen is 30. But the way that these guys win with their football smarts and their technique and route running, it really makes them valuable dynasty assets no matter their age. This is a talent that I think can stick with them even as they grow older. 
Final overall observation, I'll call this take a seat. So while I did talk about Thielen and Allen as some of my favorite receivers, I've got another favorite receiver that I've actually had to decide that it's time to put him on the bench. And that man is Jarvis Landry. Uh, he is one of my favorite players to watch and cheer for too, but just the lack of passing volume has led me to sit him the last two weeks. And I'm going to do the same for the rest of the season. Since Odell Beckham's injury, Landry has received 30% target volume in Cleveland. That's incredible. But the problem is 30% of 22 is not enough. That's the average number of passes Baker Mayfield has attempted per game since Beckham was injured. While I love Landry as a, as a player, he's just not startable in, until Cleveland's passing volume picks up. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Cleveland's playing well and they're winning games by just giving Chubb and Hunt the ball 30 plus times a game. Even... Um, even when uh, Philadelphia had really suffocated their running game, Cleveland just stuck with it this last Sunday until Chubb finally broke up a 50-yard run, and then they took control of the game. They're just going to keep sticking with it. Cleveland has no reason to change their ways while they're winning, running the ball more than 30 times per game. And so, Jarvis Landry, it's time for you to take a seat, even though I love you. Let's talk about some injuries. This is pretty brutal. Joe Burrow. I hate when quarterbacks get injured. It makes the NFL far less fun to watch. And really, you know how it just kills fantasy teams. Every player in Cincinnati is going to be dramatically affected by the loss of Burrow for the year. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, they're not going to lose any dynasty value, but they're not going to help dynasty teams in their playoff runs as they would have with Burrow. It's pretty late in the season to tear an ACL, and now they're saying there's even more complications than, than the ACL. But players have come back, you know, the following season. If they if they tear their ACL in November or December, they can get back. I assume that Burrow will be starting back next year. But a tweet that I just saw come across shows that this is a pretty serious injury, maybe worse than the ACL, in which case maybe he won't start the start of next season, which would be really difficult and sad to see. Next player that was injured was Rex Burkhead. He reportedly tore his ACL on Sunday also. Uh, he, his injury provides a hair more clarity to a very muddy backfield. Damian Harrison has looked like the best running back for sure this year, but he's phased out of the game when New England falls behind as they did on Sunday. And it was James White who had the best day of his year after Burkhead left the game. I believe that he has the most to gain from this injury, but Harris is still the best dynasty value on the team. And this being a team that perpetually holds down the dynasty values of the running backs by mixing and matching them throughout the game. It's so annoying, New England. Oh man, to complicate the matter, Sony Michelle is back off of his injury now too. So I generally just stay away from New England running backs as a principle. And I've done so even more this year uh, with Cam Newton leading the team. Next player that gets injured, I think I've probably talked about him multiple times in this part of the, the podcast every week. Uh, Julio Jones injured his hamstring again. He did come back into the game, but I suspect this will be another week-to-week situation like we're used to with Julio at this point. Olamide's uh, Zacchaeus is Julio's replacement and could provide value uh, for this year in very, very deep leagues, but there's no dynasty impact uh, from this injury other than confirming yet again that Calvin Ridley is the wide receiver one in Atlanta from a dynasty perspective. Uh, Julio is a very tradable asset right now, as you'll hear about in a moment. Um, he's very tradable for rebuilding teams, but contending teams need to be aware of trading for him because of all these soft tissue injuries. He just might not be playable during a playoff run. So if you're cashing in, trying to get that extra piece, it might not work out for you. Next injury I'll mention, the last one will be Randall Cobb. Cobb hurt his toe on Sunday uh, after scoring a touchdown early in the game. Uh, Kenny Stills also got injured. So that was giving away to Kiki Kuti. Long time since we said his name. 
gave him some playing time and a touchdown of his own in the game. I'm going to say more about Kuti on the waiver wire section in a minute, uh, but this he's definitely the one that stands the most a game if Cobb and Stills continue to miss, miss time. I don't think Deshaun Watson will. I think he'll just continue to play fine without Cobb. Uh, he can carry guys on his own. So I think Cobb's injury doesn't make any dynasty value, uh, doesn't impact any dynasty value. Let's do waiver wire. As a reminder, I always say that I play in 27 to 30 man roster leagues. So the players that I'm going to talk about here are only in deep leagues. If you play in shallower, shallower leagues, then obviously there's better players than this to pick up. But that said, here's the guys in true dynasty leagues that I'm looking to pick up. First would be Ryan Finley. I'm only, I'd only add him uh, to pick him up in super flex leagues because I think every starting quarterback should be rostered in a super flex league. I don't expect him to play too well in Cincinnati. But still, he's worth rostering just in case another starting quarterback on your team were to get injured. Uh, Ryan Finley would be my first waiver priority in a super flex league. But this next guy would be the guy that I'd be cutting in one quarterback leagues. And he's the one I'll be going for the most this week overall, I believe. And that's Kiki Kuti. Kuti was highly coveted player just two years ago. I actually remember drafting him in the middle rounds of a startup draft just two years ago. So two, you know, off seasons ago. I was hoping that he could become the wide receiver number two to DeAndre Hopkins in Houston. That seems like forever ago, doesn't it? A lot has changed. Hopkins, of course, was traded to Arizona. Cooks was traded to Houston. Will Fuller's actually been mostly healthy this year. And then Randall Cobb was picked up in free agency. So everything's changed in Houston. Uh, A lot can change in two years, including Houston's head coach and general manager getting fired. On this one, I'm just curious enough to see if Kuti can do uh, what he can do in replacing Cobb if Cobb misses a few weeks. And I think he would be the one that I'd be trying to pick up and see and hold just for a few weeks to see what he could happen, if he could maybe rekindle the value and what we thought about him uh, just a short two years ago. He'd be my number one waiver wire pick uh, this week in one quarterback leagues. And finally, I thought I'd list this one here too. Not many not many studs on the waiver wire right now in true dynasty leagues. Third, though, I would list is Des Bryant. It's really hard to believe, but Bryant moved from the practice squad to the field on Sunday and had his uh, first NFL catch since 2017. <laughs> and what's even more amazing than that is he had more receptions than any wide receiver on the team in Baltimore. He had four more catches than Marquise Brown, who had zero. <laughs> so I do think that Bryant holds very little dynasty value for being 32 years old. So I wouldn't try to pick him up except in the worst case situation. Maybe if he had a ton of receivers that had been injured or something like that. Uh, Baltimore's passing game is too inefficient, very, very inefficient to make a wide receiver valuable for Dynasty for this year, let alone from a Dynasty perspective. Now let's talk about some trades here in closing out the podcast. It is getting kind of near the deadline, so some of my trade deadlines have already hit, and then uh, two more actually expire this next uh, next come to uh, tomorrow, actually. So it's going to be harder and harder for me to talk about trades in the leagues, obviously, that lose their... Uh, that hit their trade deadline, but I hope every week I can report a few. What I like about doing these on the podcast is you hear other podcasts talk about trades, but they talk about them uh, just in a vacuum. You don't really know what the teams are trying to do. You can guess in some ways, but what I tell you is I'm actually looking at these teams' rosters and telling you what I think these owners are trying to do, and I try to side with whichever, or I'll just say it was a fair trade if it's a fair trade. So that said, these are the three trades that went down in my leagues this week. Big ones, all of them. First one was Julio Jones. James Conner and a 2022 third round pick for Tua Tungavaloa, Corey Davis, Brian Edwards, and a 2021 first round pick. So pretty big trade here. Julio Jones, James Conner, and a third in 2022 
for Tua, Corey Davis, Brian Edwards, and a 2021 first. This trade took place in my 10-team half PPR, one-quarterback league. Uh, this trade's just a classic rebuild versus contender trade, right? The team that acquired Jones and Connor is in third place, but they're just one win away from second place, which would give them a playoff bye. Uh, they really lack the RB2 for depth, and they lacked a fourth startable re- uh, receiver. And so the team that traded Julio and Connor is in last place. And though they have a really decent roster, they've really been hurt by injuries. So they traded away these aging assets to pick up a great mix of young players with Davis and Bryant and Tua and a first-round pick. I really like the youth side of this trade because I'm concerned that Julio's injury history and Connor's just lack of productivity on a great offense this year uh, that should allow him to play even better than this. He's just not getting it done. And so the biggest reason, but the biggest reason why I'm not too fond of this trade is that the contending team that there's for the contending team is that there's one dominant team in this league. In fact, if you take the, the guy that just made this trade for Julio and Connor, he's scoring 30 less points per game than this dominant team. And so knowing this, I think that he's, you know, not going to win a championship by acquiring just these two players and therefore shouldn't have made this trade. He kind of mortgaged his future for what looks like a very, very unlikely chance that these two players will push him over the top, especially over this team that's scoring 30 more points per game than his team already and shows no sign of weakness. Second trade, uh, this is one was offered to me and I accepted quickly. It was Raheem, uh, Raheem Mostert, Andy Isabella, and a 2021 fourth round pick for Mike Evans, Devin Singletary, and a 2021 third round pick. So Mostert, Isabella, and a fourth. For Mike Evans, Devin Singletary, and a third. Like I said, this was offered to me in a 10-team standard league that I'm a part of. I didn't have to think about it for more than a minute. I accepted trade and was happy to add Mike Evans and Devin Singletary to my team. I would have done this without involving the picks for even just the picks were just like icing on the cake. But the team that offered me this trade does have a top one or two roster in the league. And his only weak position was his RB2 position. And so I think he's hoping that Mostert's going to come off of IR and carry his team to a title, which could very well happen. And he actually had six startable wide receivers. I kind of wonder, we can only start four wide receivers in this league, and I bet every single week he's having to decide which four of these he's going to start when he's got six really great wide receivers. You can tell because he thought that Evans was the least of those six. Uh, Sadly for for him, he actually lost this week by one point to the highest scoring team, so he may be in danger of losing his bye week, even though he made this big trade to try to do a playoff run. I still do like his chances, though, and I think that Mostert can help him do that. I really do believe that Mostert's going to be great to end the year. As for me in this part of the trade, I'm in the sixth place in this league, so I'm the last spot in in the playoffs, and I would really need like a major upset in the playoffs to advance very far. So I was glad to add Evans as a long-term asset to my team to go along with Really, what I already have is pretty excellent wide receiver course. Evans will actually be my fourth starting wide receiver um, on my team. Uh, this trade, really, in my mind, was one for Evans because I'm not very thrilled about the running game and split backfield that there is in Buffalo. But I was willing to take a chance on it, um, though I may try to even acquire Zach Moss down the road uh, just to hedge my bets on the Buffalo backfield. We'll see. And finally, last trade was uh, a trade that was in my 12-team super flex, all flex, half PPR, tight end premium league. And this is a crazy trade. This was Juju Smith-Schuster, Jimmy Graham, and Rob Gronkowski for Darnell Mooney and two 2021 first-round picks. Darnell Mooney and two first-round picks for Juju, Jimmy Graham, and Rob Gronkowski. 
Um, this did take uh, place between two, four, and six teams. Their two, four, and six teams made this trade, so it wasn't even like a, a contender and a rebuilder. It was two, four, and six teams, and they, but they both actually have an outside chance to make the playoffs because there are six teams in this league that are five and five, so they're one game behind all these five and five teams. Um, I assume that one of them thinks that they could sneak into the playoffs and the other one doesn't because this was quite a big trade. It is a tight end premium league, so tight ends are valued more highly, obviously. Um, but I much prefer Mooney and the two first round picks of this trade, especially since the team that traded the aging tight ends and Graham and Gronkowski, he already has two young ones on his roster and Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. So he was really able to part with those older tight ends without worrying about it. It does hurt to give up on Juju, uh, but I'm really thinking that he's beginning to fall to the wide receiver three position in Pittsburgh behind Chase Claypool and Dante Johnson, and he may not even get re-signed this next year. Mooney, on the other hand, he's become the clear wide receiver two in Chicago, which granted has a pretty horrible quarterback, quarterback situation, uh, but at least he's headed in the right direction. I don't think that Juju and these two old tight ends are going to help this team make the playoffs, let alone advance in the playoffs. Uh, so I think this trade is pretty lopsided, in my opinion. It's always fun. we got two more weeks to the playoffs. Can't wait to see things get going uh, next week. Hope that your team does well on Monday night. Hopefully I can win one game. I need 20 from Robert Woods. Or I need to be uh, hold off Tom Brady and a couple other players to around 40 points. So we'll see if I can keep my what I think will be 6-2 and two record, depending on what happens here on, on Monday night. That's a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. I am much better on email than Twitter, so dynastyfreaks at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Again, as I say always, thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted and independent voice in the dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there, get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.